0: Something different this week We're going to be doing A Q&A episode The jump from six figures To seven figures Isn't actually that big And I think once you understand that Things get a little bit simpler If you want to be A million dollar brand What is it? You know, I need to make Less than three and a half Thousand dollars a day That isn't really That many products That you need to sell How
1: has money changed your life? And do you think it makes you happy?
0: My life is night and day different. Money equals freedom, freedom to choose. And and for me, I'm someone, and I I feel like a lot of people can relate. Everyone to a certain degree loves to have an element of control in their life, right? One of the most rewarding days in any journey for anyone that's in business, the day they get to quit their job and stop going to a job that they hate or working for a boss that underappreciates them. Mistakes you made and what you learned in your e-com journey. Something I regretted in the early days was taking advice from people that went against my gut feel. And if you're an entrepreneur, you've built a business, you're going to get advice from everyone you know your parents your friends other people in business but if you've built your business to a certain stage unless you're like paying for like a a mentor that genuinely has experience obviously take advice and guidance from them but if something doesn't feel right and people telling you to do it don't do it trust your gut what is your main focus for the next five years and what direction are you heading in just becoming the best person that i can i want to build a life where it's not necessarily set up for me to make the most money i want to build a life that i fucking have as much fun as i can like we get one chance as this person at this Time to live. I want to have as many cool experiences as I can. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode. We're doing something different this week. We're going to be doing a QA episode uh, for the first time ever. It's been almost two years since we launched the pod, and it's the first time I'm answering your questions. So thank you for everyone that submitted them. Um, and thank you everyone for listening and supporting. The channel's grown a lot over the 12 last 12 months. So I really appreciate all of that. Joe is going to be reading through the questions that got submitted and um, we'll just roll through like that. Before we get into it, um, can I please ask again, another quick favor from you guys. If you're watching on YouTube, just click the like button and subscribe. Both of those things really helps us grow. The more we grow, the more like bigger guests we get and, and the more we can spend on production and everything. Um, and then if you're listening on Apple or, or Spotify, just drop a review on the podcast. Um, that really helps. And it is really, really appreciated um, on my end as well. But I think we'll leave it at that. We'll get straight into the podcast. Um, Joe, you can rock into the first question of
1: the Q&A pod for 2024. All righty, cool. Let's get into it. So the (coughs) first question comes from Bo London. Uh, Best tips from six figures to seven figures in your business?
0: I think this is a really good place to start. And one of the things that I will say before I give kind of my thoughts on this is I think, and this is a bit of a mindset piece, and I know it's easy for me to say having done it and, and surpassing seven figures by a long way, but the jump from six figures to seven figures isn't actually that big. And I think once you understand that things get a little bit simple, if you want to be a million dollar brand, what is it? You know, not need to make less than three and a half thousand dollars a day. Now that isn't really that many products that you need to sell. So in terms of going from six figures to seven figures, I don't even think we're talking about, you need to add new products yet. You don't even need to expand internationally. I think that's from going from like a low seven figure to a high seven figure and into eight, those things start to become uh, important. But to go from a six-figure to seven-figure, I think it really is like e com is so, so much about testing and learning. So testing different, different strategies, whether it be if we're talking about ads, if you just have to de- test different types of ads, um, different types of content ideas, different angles, different messaging, different offers, if you're consistently testing different things, you are going to find winners. And if you're finding those winners, one of the best things that we did with Happy Skin Co to scale so quickly is when we find like a new concept that works, whether it be a new type of creative for an ad or like a new offer or a gift with purchase, anything like that. Once we would find it, we would double and triple down on that idea to extract every dollar of value from that. So I think the testing part is really important. Making sure like when you do find something that works, hit it hard and go all in on that. I think another big thing, like I said, to me, going to a million dollars a year isn't massive. So I think getting, understanding that mindset shift is big. And then even if we're just going to look at Facebook ads. Don't, don't worry about everything else you're doing. All of that's going to help. But even just the Facebook ads, if you've built the foundation, you're a six figure brand, you've got customers, you've got good reviews, there's some social proof there. Clearly there's a, there's a, a foundation uh, established. Then all you need to do is find that sweet spot uh, in terms of where your profitability is with your ads. And then that mindset of scaling is, is something that um you need to adopt. And like we've spoken about this loads of time in different pieces of content now while it can sound really good to check your ads manager and you've got like a six ROAS, that's great. But if you've got a six ROAS and you're spending $300 a day, that isn't really going to move the needle too much. But if you can scale that from spending say two dollars $300 a day to spending $2,000 a day or even $1,000 a day um, and now your ROAS is three instead of six, you're probably going to be making a lot more margin. You're, you're, you're bringing more customers into the brand. It's going to create a big snowball effect. And I uh, I think apart from like the ad piece as well, the testing and learning piece is going to come with you know organic content. Organic content now, as you know, we've seen so many brands that were mentoring um blow up without even doing ads just off the back of really increasing their organic content output. And then from six to seven figures, I think community building is going to be important, particularly if you're a, a um brand that encourages repeat purchases or a, you're a consumable product, really connecting and building community will, will really go a long way to that. But yeah, I really think getting into the mindset shift, just breaking down how many sales you need a day um to hit, you know, a million dollars a year. It's not, it's really not that many for most brands. And then just working backwards from that mark, I think we'll, we'll get you there and yeah, that that's profitability piece. When you're scaling, don't worry about the ROAS number. Look at how far you can push your budget while making the maximum, um, dollar figure of, of gross margin. That's kind of the way we've always looked at scaling and it helped us scale quite quickly. Mm.
1: Okay. Very good. All right. Next one. um, Sammy has said, "How has money? How has money changed your life? And do you think it makes you happy?"
0: Um. Yeah. Look. Um. Money has changed my life a lot. Like my life. If I look back before before Happy Skincare, when was that? Twenty eighteen. So like six years ago now. My life is night and day different now. Money equals freedom. Freedom to choose. And and for me, I'm someone, and I, th- I feel like a lot of people can relate. Everyone to a certain degree loves to have an element of control in their life, right? Now, money buys you the, the the freedom to be able to choose, to be able to wake up every day and, and work on what you want to work on if you want to take a day off and spend it with your partner, with your parents, with your with your siblings. Money affords you the ability to do that. It also means you don't have to, which is one of the biggest things that people, you know, one of the most rewarding days in any journey for anyone that's in business, the day they get to quit their job and stop going to a job that they hate or working for a boss that underappreciates them. Um, money is, gives you the, the the freedom to not to have to, you know, spend your time doing the things you don't want to do. And everyone's going to have, you know, a different opinion on what their purpose is or what life's all about. But really for me, obviously like everyone wants to have a positive impact on the world, but really I think one of the most fundamental elements of a happy life is if like you can just spend as much time doing things that you really enjoy and having fun, then you're going to be happy more often than not. And I think money buys you, um, buys you the, the ability to, to do that. And I think that's, probably the biggest way money's changed my life. I'm not a super flashy person. I don't need to have, you know, designer clothes all the time. Obviously I do have some expensive things and a nice house, but I don't think it's, it's not so much about, you know, the the physical things. It's about the freedom that, that money gives you. And I think anyone who says, anyone that's made money that, that says money doesn't make you happy. I think, I think it's definitely not a, a silver bullet. It's not the be all and end all, but if, if you do have a lot of money, I think if, well, if you have, for the people that have a lot of money, this is just my opinion. I'm no psychologist that say like, they're still really unhappy. I think there's other issues there that they need to deal with. They need to do some self-work. And if they do have enough money behind them, they have the ability to stop doing everything that stresses them out, work with a professional psychologist, do things, try things. And then I think do that inner work, we'll be able to get them to a, a, a place of inner peace where they can enjoy their life and 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 like that freedom of expression, freedom of, you know, just having fun. I think, yeah, I think that's what I'd say on that.
1: All right. Uh, number three from Tony with uh, how would you pick which product to launch when first starting out? And this is for, for e-commerce.
0: Yeah. So another e-com one. Um, yeah. So in terms of picking a, a, a product first off, there's a few things that that you want to look at. Obviously one of the first things is the product itself in in terms of like one, either the, the most common thing is, does it solve a problem? And, and it's not a problem that's made up or you think it's like genuinely, is there a problem? Is there, is there a problem that people have and does your product provide a solution to that? Or is there a really interesting wow factor that, you know, cause people will still buy a thing based off looks or charm or personality, whatever. Is there one of those things? Does it have a wow factor and is it unique? Um, and like an example of that is like a lamp, right? Everyone will probably have a lamp in their house, but if you can come out with like a really cool, unique design lamp, then Maybe it's not providing a solution, someone may already have a a lamp, but it's you know it's it's got that wow factor. it's something different about it. um a lot of the time it's going to be solving a problem right and and to 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 find a product that solves a problem, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. I think some of the things that you really want to look at and obviously this is what we spend a lot of time on with with people in viral brand build of helping them find the the best product with the highest possibility of of being successful. um but the two things to to keep it simple and not spend too much time on this question is number one is there demand for it so looking at things like are there similar businesses um, that are running profitably selling this product or something similar. Now, while it can be great to be first to market, Happy Skin Co. was, was as far as I know, first to market in the at-home IPO hair removal space. Now, obviously I didn't have a, a similar product doing well, but a lot of the time, if you can find a, br- a brand selling a similar product and if you, if you want to know if they're, if they're running the business profitably, one of the best ways to do that is if you just go on on facebook and have a look at the ads that they're running if there's ads that they've been running for like a month two months plus there's a fairly good good um good chance that that's profitable otherwise they would have killed it so having a look that if there's a couple of competitors doing it if there's not and and you do have the first mover advantage that's obviously a great um situation to be in although those products are obviously few and far between um but then on the other end you want to make sure it's not saturated if you can go into you know, any, any, any your local shops and it's, you know, there's loads of options to purchase that product in Kmart in, you know, If in Walmart, if you're in the US, in in Target, in Big W, if there's heaps of um, if there's heaps of product that they can go buy easily, why would you gotta think, why would someone buy for brand that they've never heard before on the internet, pay for shipping or wait a week on for shipping a product when they can source easily? That's another thing to consider. Um, and then a big one is margins. Now, margins are your room forever when you're launching a business. For anyone that's that's just starting. I think you want to be looking at a, a product where you can sell it for four times cog. So whatever you, what that means is four times cog. If you're going to buy it from, if you're say you're on Alibaba or AliExpress and well, you've spoken to them and got quotes and what it's going to cost you per unit, you need to be able to sell that for at least four times the amount. Or by the time you've shipped everything, you've you've run your business, you've done your marketing, you're not going to have any budget left there. Um So that's kind of, kind of some of the main things to look out for when purchasing, uh, when, when selecting a product to, to build your business around, particularly if you're just getting started in e-com and Another thing which is great to have but not essential if it's your first business is you don't always need to be in love with the industry or the product. Obviously I I, I didn't have a passion for for hair removal, believe it or not when I started Happy Skin Co, but that biz- that product has completely changed my, my life forever and I'll be com- forever grateful to to finding that product.
1: Cool. Lots of insights there. Uh now the next one now apologies if I get your name wrong here. Uh so Ashish Jularoo
0: Said, is it still worth doing drop shipping in 2024? Um, another really good question, really relevant question that I'm getting asked a lot. Obviously with the with the e-com mentoring that that I'm doing, and I I I have in the past. I think some people think um, I'm completely against drop shipping. I'm not against drop shipping. Um, I think drop shipping six years ago was really easy, and a beginner could set up a store and, and find winning products quite easily. They could run ads from day one and be profitable. Nowadays, if we're looking at dropshipping the way it used to be done, I genuinely genuinely believe only the top couple of percent of dropshippers are able to still utilize that model, testing like multiple products a week, having the ability to drop hundreds or thousands of dollars into testing ads and building websites and killing it. So the old style drop shipping is too difficult for a beginner, in my opinion, to really have sustained success. It can be short term, but there's two reasons that I do genuinely love drop shipping and I I teach it to to people I'm mentoring as well. There's one just for testing products. Now, obviously if you're going to start a private label brand and you want to brand everything yourself and you want to build a brand long-term, that's the way to go. But if you're going to drop, you know, thousands of dollars, potentially tens of thousands of dollars into a product, sometimes you might've done the research and you might have a great gut feeling, but you want to really get the market's opinion on if it's going to, if it's going to work before you go investing, what might be, you know, 70, 80, 90% of the money that you have in the bank into a product. If you can find a product that's either uh, looks exactly the same, or it's very similar to the, the ideal product that you'd build a business around drop shipping. Um, building your private label brand around and you can do that drop shipping. Now, obviously there's lots of drawbacks, longer shipping times, no customization. You're going to definitely have more uh, like issues come up with customers. But if you can do that in the short term, sell 20, 30, 40, 50, maybe a hundred units that way. So you can prove the concept, you know, that there's demand there. um, And you've actually got a little bit of money in the bank by doing drop shipping that means you can move into the product with a lot more confidence knowing that people want to actually buy it and it's not just your gut feel. Um, because when we're starting a business, you obviously want to be protecting against risk. Um, and then that way, if you've had a little bit of success drop shipping, that means you can put that money towards that, you know, bulk purchase that you're going to make. Um, so you're uh, reducing even more risk. And then as well, a lot of people that, that come to me for... Advice or mentorship. Don't have a lot of money. It might be eighteen, might be twenty-one, fresh out of school or uni or whatever different you know stage of life. Not everyone necessarily has thousands of dollars uh, in the bank to put on a business. Now, I think it's great for entry-level people. Like you can get into it, you can make a little bit of money. I I think I would still be drop shipping products that there is a clear path to building a brand around long-term, using that as a short-term mechanism to make a little bit of money. Then once you've you know made enough money to purchase the stock, I think if you want to be successful for long-term and not just three to six months on a product, you need to build a brand around it. You can use that money to then take the next step. So it's a great stepping stone and great for testing products. But as a solo strategy, unless you've got a lot of money or experience drop shipping, I think it's going to be really, really difficult to be successful in 2024. Just a quick one for me. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you're You'd know that after scaling Happy Skin Code over $10 million per year, I spent close to 18 months creating the viral brand builder program, which teaches someone with zero experience how to launch and scale their very own e-commerce brand. With over 100 training videos and direct access to me, including one-on-one calls, you'll be guided throughout the entire process. Now, the framework we have developed is unlike anything else, and we already have a bunch of incredible results from students that are making multiple five and six figures per month. So if you're ready to make 2024 your year and build a business that can completely change your life, then click the link in the description and book in an application call. Spots are limited as you'll be speaking directly to me. So make sure you book in before applications close for the month. Now let's get back to the podcast.
1: Agreed. All right. Uh, Next one comes from Ashley Richards Collins. So best advice you would give to someone who's starting a business? PS, love the pod. Thank you, well,
0: Ashley. Yeah, thank you, Ashley. Um, I think one of the biggest things that I'm seeing now, there's so many different pieces of advice. I think if you listen to all of this podcast, you'll get lots of bi- different pieces of advice. One great one, just be listen to a couple questions back about the what product to start with. That's a really important one. But in terms of advice for an entrepreneur now, one of the biggest things I see begin, like people at the start of their journey, having issues with is perfectionism. They want everything to be perfect, the perfect product. No drawbacks they want they want to be one hundred percent certain they want everything to fall into line perfectly. That isn't going to happen ninety nine percent of the time now there's that, but there's also people will want to be like so certain about something before they move forward everyone knows and and if you can actually try you know if, if let's just say you you've done some you've done your product research you've validated the product based on you know your your data points or you've got you've you run your product through your product criteria um so you're knowing what to look for at that point there's only so far data can get you the best way. That's why we teach people to do the tests like with drop shipping or, or with an organic content strategy. You want to see what the market says. You're going to learn so much more about business by actually running a business and trying to sell something. So I wouldn't spend too much time trying to make things perfect. Um, I would start because you're going to learn so much more um, by actually trying to run a business, trying to sell products, or if you're selling a service, whatever it may be, actually try and sell the thing. You're going to get a lot more, Um, you're going to grow a lot more doing that. And you're going to probably fail. You're going to scrape your knees. You're going to fuck things up. Um, But doing that and failing fast is going to, is going to lead you to growth and lead you to success, avoiding discomfort and, you know, playing it safe because, you know, I'm just going to research it and I'm not actually trying to sell. You just, you're never going to get anywhere by doing that. So I think just, yeah, just actually, just actually try sell whatever you're trying to sell that's probably the best advice and don't get stuck on perfectionism. All right. Next one
1: is another one from Ashley. So she said, following on from that mistakes you made and what you learned in your e-com journey.
0: Mistakes I made, uh, um, there'd be a lot, obviously a lot, a lot of mistakes. I think looking back, there's a couple of mistakes that, that really stood out. I think, um, there's there's a lot of lessons. I won't go into too much detail, um, but there's a lot of lessons around like trademarking and, and getting into, you know, a lot of times people might have the perfect name idea and, and they want to pick it, even though it's a super common, you know, word or combination of words. And while that might be fine in, in a certain class, as you want to start expanding your business into different product lines or different subcategories, if you're restricted with trademarking and you've built a successful brand, you're very limited in the ways you can pivot. So Picking a unique name and doing research on trademark logs in different markets as well, not just in your main class, um, but in classes that you may want to expand to into the future. That's really important. Lawyers are really expensive and going through that process um, is a time drain, a motivation drain, um, and it takes you away from doing the things that actually are going to grow the business. So that's one. Um, I think, what's What's another one? Oh, there's so many. There's so many. Um, I think as well, one of the biggest things as well that that was a uh, something I regretted in the early days was taking advice from people that went against my gut feel and, and what 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 I thought was the right thing. If you're an entrepreneur, you've built a business, you're going to get advice from. Everyone, you know, your parents, your friends, other people in business, who're going to, everyone's going to have a different opinion on what you should do next, what you should sell, and how you should sell it. Um, but if you've built your business to a certain um, stage, unless you're like paying for like a, a mentor that genuinely has experience, obviously take advice and guidance from them. But if something doesn't feel right and people are telling you to do it, don't do it. Trust your gut. Um, you're gonna if you follow their advice and it goes against your gut and it goes wrong, you're gonna have a lot more regret than if you start stuck with what you really thought and it didn't work. So. I would say those two, but yeah, we could be here all day if we talked about lessons and Mm. mistakes.
1: All right. Um, So next one is from Jamie Kins. Uh, If you could host a dinner party for any three people, living or dead, who would you choose?
0: I've been asked a similar question before, um, I think, but it was one person. This is actually really easy for me, this question. Um, If I could choose anyone alive or dead, three people to have a dinner with would be um, my mum, my granddad and my nan. Okay. Easy, yeah. So my granddad's passed. Um, my nan's got like dementia, so she's not been the same for for many many years. Um, And obviously, my mum my mum loves both of them as much as I do. So to be able to have a dinner with them three um, as they were when you know they had their mind. So my granddad before he passed had Alzheimer's for five or six years as well. So didn't get to. It was twenty two, I think, when. Um, I was 22, sorry, when he passed and like, when you're 20, 20, when you're 22, you think you're an adult and you think you've got everything figured out. But now as I sit here 30, he didn't get to see anything I've done with business. Um, any of the success I've had, he didn't get to see me grow into a proper adult. And I didn't get that. Like I was, you know, always grateful for him. And, and, and my whole family was, that's why I'd want my mum to be there too. Like I would give anything to be able to have a dinner with those three people. Um, and just, yeah, I think over anyone else, I don't give a fuck. Who cares about, you know, whatever historical person in the past, that's not going to change my life, whatever, you know, famous successful person in the future. Well, that, that lives now. I don't, I couldn't really care less. If there's someone I really want to meet, I think I can get myself in a position to meet him. But yeah, any, any three people, my mom, my granddad and my nan.
1: Like it. Uh, next one, Rio Beggs. Uh, what is your main focus for the next five years and what direction are you heading in? <laughs>
0: I think like in in terms of my my main focus, and this has been my main focus probably for the last five years too, this is kind of on a bit of a, you know, on a, on a higher level. And then I'll talk a little bit more specifically, but just becoming the best person that I can. Right. You know, continuing to, you know, we all have dreams and and visions or we should, I know I definitely have, have a vision of the type of person I want to be, the type of life I want to have, where I want to live, the type of friends, family, businesses I want to have. Um, And I think just extracting everything out of my potential um, and continually growing and learning as a person um, and, and building a life, like I kind of alluded to before, I want to build a life where it's not necessarily set up for me to make the most money. Obviously I want to be able to make good money. So I have the freedom to do what I want, but really I want to build a life that I fucking have as much fun as I can. Like we get one chance at this life in this form, or I don't know what you believe, but we get one chance as this person at this time to live. I want to have as many cool experiences as I can. So becoming the best person in terms of growing and evolving and becoming better is part of that. And then building a lifestyle and businesses that facilitate that Um, in terms of, in terms of probably three focuses, obviously the podcast um, we're almost two years in, we've kind of honestly just been doing it for fun. Like we've been doing it and, and taking it seriously, but we haven't really thought about growing it or treating it as a business, which I think this year we're going to obviously really push the podcast to you know, we've done the reps almost. I think we're probably close to 90 episodes that we've done now. Um, to really grow that, obviously, I think in terms of businesses around spending my time will be. I've really enjoyed the last six months of viral brand builder and mentoring. Um, it's it's fun to be able to obviously when I was running my businesses, it's just me with with a small team staring at a laptop or staring at spreadsheets and running ads and doing all that, which is, which is fun obviously, but to help other people change their life. Like I, I did went from the suburbs, didn't have a lot of money, saved all the money I could to start a business. Helping other people, you know, through that journey is, is really rewarding. And I'm very much a people person. So obviously e is, is usually a bit of a isolating, um, business model because it, it, for a lot of people, it's just them and a bunch of, um, freelancers. So having the ability to connect with people and help them on their journey is really fun. And it's probably what I'm enjoying most about business at the moment. Uh, and then my brands, obviously I'm, I'm still going to be an e I've got two brands in that space. One that I'll probably start speaking a little bit more about soon, which no one really knows about yet. Um, that's kind of just in a similar space to what Happy Skin goes in, but something I'm really excited about and I think has a lot of potential. Um, and then yeah, a fashion, a fashion brand hopefully towards the middle of the year as well, which has been over two years in the making. So yeah, those are, that's probably where I'm going in the, in the direction of my life for the next five years.
1: Yep. Cool. Uh, G Talati said, how could I apply for a job opportunity?
0: Um, Yeah. Another, another good question. So most of the time I hire a hire through my network um, or I'm going to post it on my like stories. So obviously I've hired loads of people for happy Co over the years and and use like LinkedIn and Seek and that sort of stuff. And I guess if I'm hiring for a specific girl, I may use them in the future, but mainly I'm going to hire through my network. So I'll post any job opportunities that I, I need someone that I don't already have a person in, in mind for on my story. So yeah, if, you, if you're looking for a job either in e-com or content production, media, that sort of stuff, those are the sorts of things I'm building towards. So yeah, I'll always put on my story. So at Dylan Mullen on Instagram um, is probably going to be the best place that that you'll you'll see me post job opportunities.
1: Yep. Uh, Sarah S. Do you feel like going to a public school helped or hindered your growth as a person and entrepreneur?
0: I, yeah, this is probably controversial. I guess everyone, I don't know. Everyone will probably defend where, where they came from, but I think going to a public school massively, massively, massively helped me. I, I well, I went to, I went to a a, a private school or Catholic school for, I went so you know how like everyone you know there's this preconception that if you want to take school seriously and you know be successful, you're obviously better in a a, a, a private school of some sort. I tried that in year eleven because obviously I was a pretty smart kid. I thought I'll go take school seriously. I went there um, and I absolutely hated it. I didn't learn more. They just bossed you around. They were really nitpicky. I feel like going to a public school was great because it's more like real life. It's more like real life in the way that you're surrounded. Or well, at least my public school, Kosola High, surrounded it with a lot more multicultural people, meaning you get, you know, you you get, you get to deal with people that are maybe a little bit, you know, rougher. You know, there used to be fights, people bringing knives to school, that sort of stuff. So you get, you know, how to kind of handle yourself in those situations. You go into the toilets, you're in year seven, you're 13 years old and these, These kids probably weigh 30, 40 kilos more than you smoking in there. Like you know how to navigate those situations. Um, and as well, like the teachers, the teachers are great. Like the teachers really are great. But the thing I I realized about public school versus private school, while public school teachers, they will want you to do all the work, like just because I think they have a range of kids that are so disinterested or disenfranchised, they don't make you, they don't force feed you as much. So you have a lot more responsibility on 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 your own shoulders to make sure you do that sort of stuff. Where in my, well, only my, my experience in, in, in that, um, Catholic school they went to for a bit, like they will, you know, micromanage you and make you do it their way on their schedule all the time. So when you get out of school and you get into the real world, people don't really do that. And and then I've seen at least my experience, um, I've seen a lot of people from my areas anyway, that went to, to private schools that have, that went out and they were a lot more partying, a lot more on the drugs, a lot more reckless because, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe they weren't exposed to the real life, real world situations as much. So I wouldn't change going to a public school f- for the world. I, I loved it. I had the best school experience. And I think it really did shape me to, you know, be able to handle myself in the real world situations.
1: Mm. Yep.
0: I think as well, just on that point, like it helps you be more of a chameleon as well to, to adapt and communicate in different situations with different people, because just being surrounded by every different race, um, you know, there was like, you know, the smart kids or like, you know, like the kids punching on all that sort of stuff. It really does, it's character building and it makes you a more well-rounded human. In my opinion, I'm sure there'll be people that, you know, going to private schools that say I had the best experience and I was, you know, with whatever's, you know, going to school with, you know, all these millionaires and billionaires children and there's benefits to that too, but I wouldn't change mine. Mm. Uh,
1: Next one is from Gina Maravik. Do I say that right? Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Tell us about growing up and your grandpa.
0: Yeah, another one. People know how much, obviously. I love, I love my granddad. Um, so I grew up, um, I grew up in the suburbs of southwest Sydney, southwest Sydney. Um, until I was five, I lived in the granny flat in the in the back yard of my grandparents' house. So it was me, my mum, and my grandparents until I was five, which is why I'm so close to them. Um, I had my cousin who was down the road, probably like a five minute walk down the road, who was six years older than me. Um, he was very much like my older brother. We would, you know, grow up playing sport and and everything. And then, when I was five, six, I moved in with with my mum and my stepdad. Um, who my brother came about a year after that. So that was a little bit different living in a house. You know, going from being the center of everyone's world in you know my, the granny flat at the back of my grandparents' house to living in a house with um, a bunch of strangers, a step a stepdad, and three older siblings who were four, five, six, seven years older than me. So that I feel like, um, again, kind of shaped me in, in the way that, um, it made me handle my own shit and and kind of be a little bit more like I could handle my own needs and get shit done myself. Obviously when it was just me and my my mom and my grandparents, I was very much spoiled. Um, and everything was given to me and done for me. And then when I was in that situation, not that I, my mom or anyone gave me any less love, but I think just naturally you, you fend for yourself a little bit more. You maybe um, retract a little bit more, do things on your own and just handle things yourself. So I think I built a lot of emotional independence during that period of my life, um, which I think has really served me. But I think at times maybe has limited me in relationships because I'm so self-sustaining. And that's something over the last 12 months I've been learning to open up a little bit more and share a little bit more, even though I just feel like I I can handle everything myself. Um, And then, yeah, my granddad was absolutely my hero. Um, do, like the best person ever. Like you speak to anyone in my family, anyone who knew him, no one has a bad word to say about him. Like there is not one experience that I have with my granda where he had a selfish thought, a selfish word to say, if if you asked him what he wanted to do, like where he wanted to go to dinner, what he wanted to do next, he would want you to, he would say, no, you pick, you pick, you pick. And then if he did answer, he would try and say what he thought you wanted to do. Like he picked me up from school, took me to cricket training all those years, took me to cricket games. that would be up early. I've got a baseball in the office at my place, um, that's behind me when I do calls that some people see. um, and he, he obviously was much, he was like 60 years old. He was like 60 when I was born. Um, and he would throw a ball and I would dive and take catches for hours and hours and hours. Um, so just the best, like the, the best, like I wish. I wish he was still, still obviously alive. Um, the sad thing is for me, like he died at 81. He's, his his mum lived to 93 and his dad lived to 99. So we both thought, um, we both thought we'd get a lot longer out of him. Um, but yeah, Alzheimer's Alzheimer's took him. So that's something I'm, i I want to do more in, in, that, in that space at some point in my life for sure.
1: All right. Um, now next question comes from Tim. Uh, how are you different as a person from before you launched Happy Skin Co? Wow,
0: um, I think I'm a man now. I was 24 when when I launched the business. Arguably, you are a, an adult then, but I think I'm a man now. I think I think running a business is great. Like the the whole money piece and my whole life changing was fucking nuts. Now, in terms of you know that piece, one of the biggest changes I have, and this is something that I try and give to people, and 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 part of like why. know, people hear my story and they'll get so much inspiration is like, I grew up, like I said, lower middle class, never went on fancy holidays, always had food on the table and that. But like, I, I've always had a lot of self-belief, but even me had that little voice at the back of my head doubting, like you just, you know, you, you feel like someone's dreams coming true is like winning the lotto and you feel like it's never going to happen to you. But once like a couple of your dreams start coming true, and then some of the bigger ones you genuinely realize, and it's things that you decided you wanted you visualize them happening, you put the work in and they happened and like crazy experiences, the whole Gary V thing, how I, you know, work with him and, you know, hiring people like, so the business, like hired a full-time staff within three months, had an office and warehouse within three months, made a million dollars within three and a half months. Like all these things I dreamed and saw so clearly. And then they happened. I realize, like, if you really believe in something and you can set your intentions that you deserve something and you're going to make it happen, your dreams can come true. I genuinely will never limit my dreams again. I will never put a ceiling on my dreams. If there's anything I want to do, I always believe I can do it if I want to do it enough. So I think that's the biggest way I've changed, never limiting myself or my my dreams or realizing what can happen. And I think that's the hardest thing for people to genuinely believe their dreams can come true. They can. I think you do need some some people do need that proof of it to happen. Um, I think visualization is a big part of that process as well. And then on the other point, like how I how I said becoming a man, like dealing with the ups and downs of business, all the crazy successes, the late nights, the you know, fuck ups, the no sleep, trying to fix a fix an issue or dealing with, you know, w- whatever situations that li- life and business throws at you, it can be taxing and it can be hard at times, but like it's made me grow up so, so much. And like, yeah, I just feel like I'm a completely different person. Like i genuinely feel like my life started at that point. I started the business.
1: Yeah. Um, all right. Oscar underscore 99. Uh, what businesses and or projects are you currently working on?
0: Um, I kind of alluded to some of these just before. So obviously um, the podcast is a big focus viral brand builder um, is, is, kind of a space I want to be in probably I think this is like a building an education company obviously right now it's an e mentoring program and that is very much the focus and the nucleus of what I want to do but I've had a lot to say about education and and how you know pointless university degrees can be for for, for most people I think real life education about actionable results and changes in people's life is the future. I think education is fractionalizing like media has done over the last 10 years. So building an education company with real life, impactful knowledge that people can use to, to change their lives and better them, better themselves. Um, so this is like a viral brand builder just the start of a, you know, a, a 10 year journey at least in, in education and mentoring and growth. It's something I'm super passionate about. Then I have your Happy Skin Co. Obviously still own that. Um, and the other business in the personal care and wellness in the women's space, which not like a big secret, but I'll share more about that soon. Um, and then the fashion label, which is something I've been working on for yeah over two years in the, in the background. It's not something that I've been a rush to get to market. There's a lot of things I want to perfect. And you know, me, me Mel and Evie, um, the team with that want to perfect in terms of designs, fabrics, um, cuts, shapes, all that sort of stuff to get that right. Hopefully between April and June, July this year, it'll be launched. And that's going to be something that, you know, I've spoken a lot about you know, once I've made money, I've, I've lost the urge to really, I don't want to build like a company and be the CEO and have a hundred staff. But if there's one brand that I want to really grow, I think it's, I think it's that, that label. So yeah, that'll be exciting.
1: Mm, Indeed. Um, All right. Friend of the pod, Jamie Critharis has said, how do you stay consistent with posting content? What's the, what's your process and team look like?
0: Um, I think on a personal level with like my personal stuff, I haven't stayed consistent. (laughs) So definitely um not perfect by any means in that um that's something i definitely want to take more seriously this year my own content and consistency on that as well i think probably i have a little bit of a, of my own advice to take in terms of the perfectionism of, of that stuff but one thing that we've stayed ultra consistent in is, is obviously the podcast um we haven't missed it well apart from one or two weeks over Christmas. We haven't missed a week. We've always had anywhere between three to seven clips posted from an episode. And I think the only way for me genuinely to make that happen was to hire a team and build a team that could help facilitate that. Obviously, um, yourself producing it, organizing it, researching a lot of guests and bringing ideas for guests to me. Um, And then Yui getting involved with the filming, like he's like, All the video, all the all the photography, having people that are experts in each um, in each field do that. So outsourcing that and not trying to do everything yourself. Even though there'll be some things where my vision will be different to yours or Yui's, and you know, people as they start to grow, they want to you know have their hands on every single part and have everything in exactly in their vision. But you can't do that if you want to scale. You have to put trust in other people and let go of you know that perfectionism piece. And I think one of the big keys for me actually taking on that that advice, um, is that, you know, you're not always right. And so unless I'm completely convinced or there's a specific direction, I want to take something, if something's been done in another way, it's not how I envisioned. I used to always think that it has to be done my way or it's wrong, but there's been plenty of times where, you know, I've been proven wrong in in that situation as well. So I think, you know, having trust in other people's helped, you know, it can, there's no way if I had to write all the captions, edit all the videos, decide all the clips, it wouldn't work. So yep. giving up a little bit of control in that.
1: Yeah, Agreed. Um, another friend of the pod, Emma Krebs has said, um, yeah, more about the pod team. So sort of following on from that. Um, uh, so I'd love to hear more about your pod team, intro them and provide insight into workflow. <laughs>
0: Yeah, workflow, it's a lot of work. People think, oh, everyone's like, oh, I want to start a podcast. They don't realize how much work is involved, <laughs> like you're laughing, how much work is involved in doing a podcast, particularly one where you have guests involved. And you've got to book guests and liaise calendars. So in terms of the team, um, there's obviously myself who's, who's the host. I'll do the research on the guests. Um, and then Joe's the producer, so he will do a lot of research on potential guests. That'll be some I'll find, some he'll find. Um, once we've agreed on, on, on guests, Joe will do all the outreach and book them in and liaise with, with their calendars. Joe also edits all the YouTube, um, versions and and the audio versions of the full length podcast and the clips. Um, and then Yui who was on the podcast like two weeks ago from Alia bottle is like our head of like videography and, and photography. So any fancy shots or takes and stuff, it's always him behind the camera setting all of that up. He's a master at that stuff. Um, and then Mel, my partner, um, recently started helping with like the thumbnails and stuff, which is great. She's got a little bit of experience in design and graphic design and that sort of stuff, which has been, which has been a good help. Now in terms of, we do want to streamline that a little bit more and start having a lot of, you know, meetings and, and um, like post podcast reviews and, and, and getting things a little bit cleaned up there. Like I said, this will be the first year that we really try and treat the podcast like a proper business um, and try and grow it. So that'll be fun. Yes. But yeah, how much per episode, how many hours a week do you think you would spend on an episode?
1: Oh, for me, well, just editing one episode is like eight hour, eight to ten
0: hours. Eight to ten hours editing. You've got to find the guests, I so say, another hour. Yeah. To find the guest and book in all the calendars and the A's, you got to do the setup and everything as well. Like we have a plug-and-play studio. Most people don't. For me, finding the guests um, and then – reviewing all like the description, the title, the research them. If you're spending so eight to 10 hours, I'm spending four to five hours, six hours. So that's at least like 15, 16 hours an episode for one podcast a week. Yeah. It's a lot of work.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, okay. This one, next question. So Sydney body envy massage uh, has asked, how often do you train?
0: This changes a lot with for for me, depending on, you know, what I'm doing. Um, but training's always been a big part of my life. I'd say at the moment, started I went back to martial arts yesterday, just not not properly, but um with 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 my mate from there. So I try and do my martial arts once or twice a week. Um at the moment I've been I got back into the gym. I'm probably going anywhere between four to six times a week. Um, and then I have periods throughout the year where I'll get into running. I'll generally want to do one, one or two big races a year, say a half marathon and then eventually I'll do a full marathon after I hit the, the, the paces I want for a half. And then when I'm doing that probably three to four months before a race, I'll be running three to four times a week to prepare. So training is a big part of my life. Um, my, where I've been doing martial arts shut down for a few months at the end of the year, hopefully to open back up, um, soon. And one thing I realized was, was when I got back from Europe, Kung Fu uh, martial arts was off. And I, in in a weird way, it was kind of good timing for me because I had so much work to catch up on a lot of projects in the building, building phase. So I was grateful for the opportunity to, to have the extra hours to work on them. But after a few months of doing that, it starts to have its effects. And like the balance that you feel when you are training, you have somewhere to be and a schedule to stick to really helps. And I think it helps you be better at work when you are working. So yeah, I'd say pretty active, probably five times a week on average, Mm -hmm. I would do some form of training, sometimes more. Yeah. Yeah. Another one from
1: Sydney, Body Envy Massage. Uh, how and where did you start?
0: Um, so I started in 2018, obviously, with Happy Skin Co. and e-com business um, at home. Obviously, probably most people listening already know that. And at home, hair removal handset. Um, so yeah, 2018 in e-com. Um, I met someone at a, at a previous job that was the first person ever that started an e-com business. And that was the first time I ever heard of just any random person. You could start a business, find a product, put your logo onto it and start selling it online. And that changed my life. And obviously things happen really quickly. There was about nine to nine to 10 months working on it behind the scenes before launch. And then by the time we launched, you know, the rest is history Over like 10, over $10 million in the first full year of business, things happen really quickly. So that's when and how I started. I, th- I still think Ecom's probably the best mm-hmm. in, my, in my opinion. A lot of people will say, you know, start an SSMA, like an SMMA, you know, agency, there's an argument for that for me is building a, a business, um, uh, building a brand in e is is my preferred method. And I still think is it's only just getting started. E-commerce is not going anywhere. That's for sure. As someone that has dabbled in you've done both, or right? all, all
1: yeah, all different things, definitely e-com. Well, what is, did you make more money from? from? Ecom, ecom right? Ecom, by yeah. far. Yeah. <laughs> by and, far. Yeah. And
0: like, yeah, I guess personalities will be different and like starting some form of agency or service can be great, but like, dude, it's like People, a lot of people want to start a business so they're their own boss. A lot of people think if you have an agency, you're a boss. No, you, how many, how many clients do you have? They're all your boss. You need to work for them. Otherwise you're going to go out of business. So different types of, um, you know, models can work for different people. But yeah, I think for a lot of people, obviously listening to this, a lot of the questions kind of have been based around e-com. So I think e-com is a great place to start.
1: On, on that as well. Yui, who's had a videography agency oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, and he, he will never, he said he will never, ever go back to doing an agency after doing e-com.
0: Yeah. So See, happened. exactly. Like we're lucky that he'll still help us with stuff because yeah. he's our mate. But yeah, he's been in agency land or like as a freelancer and, and, and doing shoots and stuff for, for years. And then one taste of e-com and he's like, this is it, baby. Yeah.
1: Yep. Uh, okay. So James.al said, how to build, uh, how to build a brand with organic strategies.
0: Um, yeah, I think 2024 and 2023, like that has been the time that's been probably the best and most effective time to build brands just off organic. You look at two people we've had on the podcast recently, two people from the viral brand builder community, um, you and Danielle with Alia bottle, they've done, you know, I'd say far, far majority of their sales just based off organic. So there's two main ways you can do it based off organic. There's, in terms of the types of content that you're going to make, it's either going to be a product focused stuff and that's, you know, all the cool videos. Oh my God. Like, you know, TikTok made me buy it around the actual product itself. Loads and loads of different ways you can do this. Valquise um, is a really good example of that, who we had on the podcast a couple of months back with her mental health prompt journal. There's so many different ways to create content in, in an interesting, engaging way based around your product or around the founder story and, and the documenting the journey and taking people on that ride with you like predominantly Yui and, and Danielle have done. So I think with the rise of TikTok and, and and Instagram reels, it no longer matters if you have a big following, you produce good content and, and you learn and you always make incremental changes to make it better looking at what worked, what other people are doing, jumping on trends or, 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 or new styles of content early. The sky's the limit with that. And you don't have to spend a lot of money running ads. So I think, researching brands in a similar space that are doing well on TikTok, um, that are doing well on Instagram or seeing what they're doing and replicating it in your own way. You don't even have to think of all the ideas yourself. Look what other people that are being success, successful in the market are doing um, and replicate that model. What works. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, next one from James again. So advice on scaling a brand slash business.
0: Um, yeah. So kind of touched on this a little bit earlier. So again, if, if you are in e-com or, or any form of like online business, testing and learning is going to be really, 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 really important. Once you do find what works for you, double down on it and spend, say 75% of your time and energy on that and the other 20, 25% on testing and learning new strategies. So you can find more winners um, to kind of get to that point. Community building obviously is really, really important, especially, like I said, before. If you have a, a, a product and a brand that encourages repeat purchase, if you're a consumable or say a fashion brand, you want people to come back, make sure you're treating um, your customers right and building community. And then in terms of when you're building up from there, looking for opportunities to scale either into retail, um, o- online marketplaces, internationally into new markets, finding other like-minded markets. So if you're in Australia, you're just advertising here, a really easy place to expand to is obviously the U.S., is to New Zealand. These are some of the first places that you expand. It can be really easy, almost a copy and paste strategy into each market. If you're in Europe, there's a lot of really hot spots that are popping off in Europe for e-com, Denmark, Germany, the Netherlands, a lot of cool places to expand. Looking for, you know, if you start a business, one of the best ways to start a business that's going to be easy and it's going to be profitable for you is find a hero product for your business that has a decent AOV, say $70 to $150, kind of the ideal range or it's a, if it's a good product, valuable product, like how this can go, our AOV is 250. If you can find a product like that, it's going to mean every sale you make is going to have a decent, a decent, like healthy amount of margin on that. Um, you're going to acquire customers and then expanding into supplementary products, additional products, complementary products, V2s that are newer, improved. I think that's some of the, the really great ways to, to scale a business. Yeah. Mm.
1: All right. Um, David Tomlinson said, what have you changed your mind about most over the past couple of years?
0: What have I changed my mind about? I try not to read these too much because I didn't really want to think about them too much before. Let me think. Um, what have I changed my mind? I think genuinely what I've changed my mind about the most over the last few years is I, I think, and this is a lot of people can relate, like say, say pre 2020, so 2019 and, and, and earlier, I think a lot of us that are, you know, probably under 50, 60 years old, we lived in this, you know, world where nothing bad ever happened. And there was no threat of your life changing, nothing. Oh yeah. There was like economic highs and lows and dips, but realistically everything was pretty good. You know, I'm saying as someone based in Australia, and if we look at what's happened and what is continuing to happen with all the wars around the world, all the, you know, talks about what's coming and a new, you know, disease X and whatever, I think it's made me a little bit more, maybe realistic and maybe a little bit more pessimistic that you can put trust in, you know, the system to look out for you. I think a lot of people have realized you have to look out for yourself and you can't rely on on other people to solve your problems. So again, that's why I'm doubling down even more on, you know, building my own life uh, around me or building my own businesses. So I have that control to protect myself, provide for me and my family and my, My loved ones. So I think probably that. I think a lot of us Mm. were kind of, you know, walking with our eyes shut, and a lot of us have realized, you know, how things really work over the last few years. Yeah, yeah, agree.
1: I was gonna. I was. That's the one that came to my mind. I was wanted to see if you'd say that. Yeah. The other one as well. Um, I would say is you're probably like a lot more health conscious. Yes. As well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. What I'm putting into my body, I used to just think, you know. If I look good or if they fit, not that I've ever tracked macros, but a lot of people think if they fit my macros and I'm looking good, then I'm I'm healthy. No, you read the ingredients list on anything you're putting on your body or into your body and you realize there's a lot of shit that is, you know, potentially toxic or not really going to be, you know, conducive to good long-term health. And I've cut out a lot of things. I'm one of the biggest things that, you know, still annoys me because um, I sweat a little bit more is like getting rid of, you know, what's the uh, – um. Aluminium based, you know, you know, antiperspirants, um, moving on to a natural one of those was one of the best decisions getting, you know, removing more chemicals out of my diet, um, as, as, as well, just really, and I guess being 30 as well, you start to think about health a little bit more. You, you, you don't take it for granted as much and having more of a focus on looking after myself.
1: Mm, Yeah. Um, following on from that, Michael M has said, what
0: is your current morning routine? My current morning routine, this is something that changes probably three or four times a year as well. Um, my current morning routine being January, um, I'm starting to get back into my full-on work mode. Um, this changes at certain periods. I was doing different things, but right now what I'm doing, I'll wake up and then I either do one or two things first. One of the best things that I did over over Christmas was bought a sauna. So I'll either first thing, I'll, I'll grab I'll, I'll have a glass of chlorophyll, which I always start my day with. Then I'll have a coffee. I'll take my coffee into the sauna. I'll do 25 to anywhere between 25 to 40 minutes in the sauna. Um, While I'm in the sauna, I have some form of podcast on or meditation um, where I'm going through affirmations, saying them out loud or visualizing in the sauna. Um, If I'm not doing that first thing, I'm going to the gym. I've always generally been a gym in the night person, but I've realized that my brain, in terms of, you know, I tried the Alex Homozi, wake up and work first thing. Might work for him. It might work for for people who are naturally morning people. I'm a night owl. You know, I can work up until midnight and I'm still firing. So, I'll go to the gym. I'll come back. I'll, sometimes I'll still do a quick sauna. Then I'll get into to work. Even if I don't get into work till a little bit later, um, I'm fucking ready to go and I feel great. And then I'm cold showers as well. Something that I I've been doing twice a day um, for the last probably four months. I've never been that consistent with it. Um, so that's been a, that's been a big one. That's kind of my rough, my rough one, um, yeah. at the moment. Cool.
1: Uh, Rihanna Davis has said, can you please provide examples of ads for cold audience?
0: Yeah. So there's something I, I, I want to chat to you about as well, being that, um, you're starting to do a lot of marketing for me and running ads for for, for some of my businesses. Now, again, I think personally, you, you, you tell me what, what you think, personally, I think, um, while funnels are still important today, I think it's a lot of the times now with the algorithms, you can put all your content in at anywhere in the funnel and it will start to show it in the right, um, in the right, in the right place. Now there's still elements of funnels that we build, but I think you want to be looking at just different interesting angles and hooks that might grab people's attention, um, anything educational for your product. But again, you really want to be grabbing people's attention doing a video, focusing on one or two, you know, angles or hooks for the product per video, not trying to fit everything into these really long videos, breaking down any element of the product. Um, And probably obviously less like offer based static creatives for cold. That's something that'll come a little bit deeper into the funnel, but I think it is less important, but I'd probably be just putting out the the videos, focusing on one or two elements of the product in engaging ways, it's your ads today are going to be a lot more similar to the content that you would see perform well on organic TikTok or organic Instagram. Not exactly, but a lot more than it was a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, what are your thoughts on that as someone like that's in the ad accounts more?
1: Yeah, so I, w- I would say, yeah, all of that. Um, like you said, the funnel matters less. It's now you're not really doing top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel. You were doing all of funnel. Um, and then the creatives that you, it's a lot more of testing creative. So creative matters a lot more than it used to. With like old school ads, you know, it was a lot of, it was more media buying. In the Duplicating accounts, of, setting yeah, it up, pushing horizontal, budgets, yeah, yeah. Horizontal scaling, vertical scaling, cost cap. Day trading stuff. accounts. Yeah. Yeah, all yeah, yeah, of yeah. that stuff. It's now kind of you're just testing ads and you're testing them like weekly new new creatives and and new um yeah new creatives pumping
0: new copy pumping um and i think with copy as well most of the time um i see now there are certain circumstances that this isn't the case but most of the time like you have to be direct result style copy like it needs yeah. to be you know grabbing people's attention, a couple of dot points about the point. You don't, you can't write essays. You can't write in normal language. A lot of either, if it's a a big, exciting offer, all caps for that. And then you want to be capitalizing the first letter of every word. You can't just write how you would send it, write an email. People's attention spans are getting lower. There's more and more brands writing it. You need to stand out and grab people's attention. Just stopping them for two seconds can be the difference, right? So I think, yeah, a lot more direct result um, from the copy, from even, from, from even, Um, when you're running ads to a cold audience. Yeah. Um, following on from
1: that, there's two questions from Talia Vanchich. Um, so the first one, how to start running Facebook ads.
0: Yeah. So again, kind of similar to what you were just saying, but how would you set up an account now? Like I know the type of setups, but what, how would you recommend someone set up accounts? What are you, what are you, what are you seeing work at the moment? So so I'm across at the
1: moment, I'm across a handful of like different brands from fashion to Mm. Like not with you, but like fashion to, to you know beauty, beauty to different tools. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. To, and like I've been a lot in the ad account for Alia as well. Mm-hmm. So um the things that are sort of been working and how I set it up is I will test so Advantage Plus, like the new campaigns, like Facebook's Facebook is pushing a lot less manual setup and it's all really auto, like it's just there's there's basically no targeting. So we'll do an advantage plus campaign, mm-hmm. which is no targeting. There's no you will be retargeting your audience in this in this campaign, so it to be cold and warm and hot in the one campaign, so I'll set that up and we'll have like a testing campaign which is for the creatives and then for each um ad account it's separate like we will also test an old school, so I'll still do a top of funnel. Mm-hmm and a bottom of that's usually campaign. going to get
0: less budget nowadays, right? Less anyway. budget.
1: Yeah. And it's just testing to see to see how they, how they do. Yeah. Um, cause like- some,
0: some people, sorry to cut you off swear by owning advantage plus some people yeah. still want to make it a little bit old school. I think like you said, at the start, you want to be testing both options and seeing yeah. what works for your brand. Because even I've got friends with big agencies, like, you know, many, many, many clients and it can be night or something can absolutely 100% work the best for this brand. Um, Or even talking to, talking to um, Raquel and Adam from, who is Elijah, everyone says, oh, you got to be running video ads. got to be video ads. For them, it's like Mm. static is like 90% of what they do and what works the best. Yeah. Every brand is going to be something different. So Mm. I think if you set it up, like you were saying, it gives you the opportunity to find out what works best for your brand and your product.
1: Yeah, exactly right. Um, all right. So the next one from Talia is, is it worth having your product on Amazon in Australia? Can it affect your brand image?
0: Um, yeah, look, obviously it can affect your brand image. Amazon, you, you're really competing on price. I don't see many traditional say e-com Shopify brands in Australia that I haven't spoke to anyone that like, you know, is a proper Shopify e-com brand, um, where Amazon is like a big part of their strategy. Maybe I'm just ignorant, but it's like, you're either... An Amazon FBA really focused brand, yeah. or in Australia, you don't like. It's not like you need to be on Amazon in Australia. We've we've doubled it. We've tested it. We never really, we never really got much out of it because again, we play the brand play in terms of Abhishek. Go. We're so much more expensive than the competitors. So it's like Amazon. If you see a sim, same category of product for sixty nine dollars versus ours is like you know two hundred ninety nine. The shopping on Amazon, they're going to go the cheaper option. So unless yeah. you want to compete on price. Or you're going to go Amazon FBA. I don't know too many really successful brands that have done it like, you know, with, you know, Facebook ads and, and, and like running it traditional way that we build, um, e businesses that have been like, oh yeah, expanded to Amazon. And it's just like created an extra 20 to 30%. Again, I may be ignorant, um, but I don't really see too many brands that are killing yeah. it doing that unless you're going to go all in on that strategy. And that's something I've not probably the best person to speak about.
1: Alrighty. So we got a one last question. Let me just get it up. Another friend of the pod, Jose Talite. Um, So he has asked, that's a bit of a long one. Um, so what does Dylan's life slash mindset look like? If Dylan was the same age he is now, maybe the, so Uh, yeah, same age he is now but he hasn't experienced a financial success just yet. What would be your goals for relationships, things surrounding your manhood and protecting and providing? So if you were 30 years old as mm-hmm, you are now, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you haven't got the success, what would you be doing to, to be able to increase your income?
0: So uh, but am I giving advice from who I am now? Because By who you are now? Yeah, yeah. what would but, I be doing? Um, yeah. So, and read the last part of the question for me. I get, yeah, I get the framing of the question. Now, what was the, what was the last part of the question? So it's a bit of a long one. So essentially what is my advice to someone at 30 that yeah, hasn't had the financial but you success? You haven't
1: experienced a financial success just yet. Yep. No. But, and then the part about protecting. So and- what are your goals, relationships, things surrounding manhood and protecting, providing, etc.
0: Yeah. I think one of the big things in like on that relationship piece that I've really understood over the last couple of years, obviously being in a serious relationship, I didn't, I didn't realize what being in a relationship meant. And I, I I really think a lot of guys don't really know what it means to be in a proper, serious, healthy adult relationship. Um, I really like, you know, working together as a team, I didn't realize how important or how much of it that was. And like, you help them; they help you. Supporting each other, like I said, I was I was a very self sustaining person. But realizing if you want to be in a happy, healthy relationship, you're a team, and you have to think about it like that. 100. It's not you versus them; it's you and them always. If they're winning, you're winning. If you're winning, they're winning. I think that's been one of the biggest changes there. I think in terms of finances, like I said, a lot of uncertainty in the world. I would I would be doing um I would be doing one of two things. I'd be looking for opportunity. I'd be having a, obviously a, you need a job to pay the bills. Um, but then on the outside of that, I'd be doing one or two things, depending on how ambitious you are. Now, both of these are going to give you a better life. Um, now a lot of people want to make money. I think if you want to make money and that's your focus, I think you've got to look for opportunities around, um, certain products that, you know, like we spoke about how to identify a good product. And if you want, if you're someone thinking about getting into business, send me a message, I'll send you our product criteria template for what we look for in a new product. So that would be number one, either, you, you've got to change the way you see relationships based on what I said. I think that's a big one. And a lot of guys, ambitious guys will just think it's all about going out, picking up girls, you know, all that stuff that you think makes you a man. That's not what makes you a man at all. And then in terms of the money, the, the money piece, so you've got a job, you are maybe not going to have the massive financial success. I think you, you have to start some form of side hustle. Now your side hustle can be, you know, e-com like what we've been talking about finding the right product, building a brand around that and pushing that Or finding a hobby of yours that you really, really love and building a business and a content channel around that, whether it be Lego, like Kenny did, whether it be a sports team and being like a a YouTuber, like I follow so many YouTubers that created a a YouTube within the last year. They now have say 30,000 followers just on one niche thing um, every, vid- every day they're posting a video, getting 10 to 20,000 views. And it's like from that, I don't know how much money they're getting in. They they do sponsorships and they'll be getting an AdSense, but like they've probably added doubled their income talking about and living in the world of their biggest like hobby or interest. So I'd be doing one of those two things. Either if you want to make it about the money and you've got really big ambitions and dreams, look for a product or an opportunity to really build that, like what, what I've done. Or if you're more content with, you don't feel like you need a lot of money or you don't necessarily, and everyone's different, have amazing, like not amazing. Everyone's goals are fucking amazing. if It's going to make you happy. But if you just want a comfortable life, you want to earn more money. So you have more control. I would genuinely find like a hobby that you want to really invest into and create content around that on Instagram, on YouTube, like on YouTube has now become like what Twitch used to as well. There's subscriptions. People can subscribe to you. They can super chat you and donate money to you. I'd be going, doing lives every day, talking about whatever that passion is, whether it's a sports team, whether it's makeup, whether it's whatever it is for you. That's one of the two ways I'd be looking to increase my income. Yep. Cool. Cool, that's it. Well, there we go. First Q&A pod. We'll probably do another one maybe once a year or whenever there's, Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But that was good. Um, thanks to everybody for listening. Thank you again for submitting your questions. We'll do another one at one point, but I want to be, I'm going to be connecting with you guys a lot more this year. I've got a lot of questions and things I want to ask you guys to help us with the direction of the pod, the types of guests we get on, the industries you want to hear from, whether it be health, business, e-com, whatever. Um, I'll be speaking to you a lot soon. Thank you again for listening me a favor drop a like on the video and subscribe if you haven't if you're watching on youtube and um, yeah on audio drop a review it really really helps you don't have to but it's free it doesn't cost you anything and it really helps me so that's it much love thank you very much joe thank you for hosting and leading this asking me all those awesome questions thank you all right guys thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed this episode or you got something out of it do yourself a favor do me a favor do your friends a favor and share this with them and they can come along on this journey with us thanks again and i'll see you next time